Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Story It all began when the whisper of chainsaws echoed. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Through the sacred lands of my people, the Comanche tribe. Amalawa which means P in our language, a reminder of how small we are in the grand scheme of things. 
Little did I know, the grand scheme had a cruel twist in store for us. Our ancestral lands, once lush with ancient trees and teeming with life, were being violated by a ruthless logging company. Every fallen tree seemed to resonate with a piercing cry, reverberating through the air, through my heart. And then, we noticed it, the increase in sightings of a malicious skinwalker. The skinwalker, a creature of Navajo legend, was known to shapeshift and bring harm. It was an entity of pure malevolence, a perversion of nature. It began to terrorize the loggers, who were far from their comfort zones and their high-rise offices. The assaults from the creature were so relentless, so terrifying, that the company halted its operations. Our tribe was relieved, at least initially. But then, the attacks escalated. It started with livestock. Sheep and cows mutilated, their carcasses left as a gruesome warning. Then, our people started disappearing. Our tribe, once vibrant and strong, was being decimated. Fear clung to us like a shroud. Elders prayed, warriors stood guard, children cried, but nothing stopped the skinwalker. One by one, my people fell, their lives snuffed out by this ancient terror. Until, I was the only one left. The skinwalker had taken everyone, my family, my friends, the old, the young. I was alone, the last of my tribe, left to bear witness to our tragic end. The government arrived in the aftermath. Men in suits and uniforms swarmed our lands, their faces grim. They quarantined the area, erected barriers, and shrouded our tragedy under the guise of a disease outbreak. They found me, grief-stricken and lost, and they told me to be silent. To hide the truth of the skinwalker, the reality of our ancestral lands, and the massacre of my people. The world continued on, oblivious to our fate, ignorant of the truth. I became Alawa, the lone survivor of the Comanche tribe, the guardian of a tragic secret, a living testament to a tale too horrific to be believed. But I remember. I remember it all. I was working as a park ranger this one time when I heard something pretty weird from one of the campers. It was low season and we only had a few bookings. One, a group of boy scouts and their two leaders who were both middle-aged moms. Two, a very small church group, all female. And three, two college girls who had been doing some sort of nature photography shoot and research had appeared. So, a lot of females asides from a small group of young boy scouts. There were around five of them, and I'd say they were all preteen, and that's important to note for the story. You see, in the morning while the scouts were cooking their breakfast and the church ladies were doing their prayer circle, one of the college girls came storming over to the office, making and filing a complaint. She said that there had been a man outside their tent during the night. They knew it was a man as he mumbled a couple of things and laughed. He'd had apparently a very deep voice. She said he was drunk and that he had urinated on the side of the tent. Again, not only from the voice but the height of where the urine had hit the tent, they known it was a guy and not one of the little boys. Sure enough, I headed over to their tent at the location they said it happened and sure enough, there was a strong smell of human urine. There were also three empty beer cans on the floor and multiple cigarette butts. No one on that site claimed to have brought any alcohol with them, 
and none of them seemed like secret drinkers. And there had been no cider smell of tobacco. Thing is, our campsite is miles away from anywhere. You would have to drive to get here, and there were no obvious signs of anybody else coming on to or through the site. It was enough to freak everybody out and they all packed up and left. Can't say I blame them. We kept watch overnight for the next week or so but never saw anything and never had any more complaints. Maybe the girls just made the whole thing up, I don't know. It didn't feel like it though, and between the beer cans, cigarettes, and urine smell, it seems like a lot to waste your time on and a lot of a story to build up for what. The night was thick and the only light that pierced through the darkness was the flickering flames from our campfire. The calm serenity of the lake mirrored the starry night sky, creating a tranquil ambience that was often sought but seldom found. We were surrounded by the deep woods, the lake stretching out before us. Suddenly, the tranquility was broken by a strange noise from across the lake. It was a distant rustle, an unusual sound that didn't fit the usual nighttime symphony of insects and nocturnal creatures. We hastily fed the fire, coaxing it to grow brighter, illuminating the surrounding landscape with its warm, orange glow. Just as the fire grew stronger, so did the noises. Something was over there, something big. We could hear it crashing through the underbrush, snapping branches and rustling leaves. Then came the rocks and logs, lobbed in our direction with an incredible force, splashing into the lake and thudding around our campsite. The fire cast monstrous shadows that danced and twisted with each explosive splash and thud. And then, the screams began. They were unlike anything I had ever heard before. I've spent my entire life in the woods, hunting, exploring, living. I've heard the cries of bobcats, the hoots of owls, the howls of wolves, but this. This was different. It was a guttural, primal sound that resonated through the forest, sending a chill down my spine. The screams and the onslaught of debris continued for a harrowing hour. Each minute was stretched by the adrenaline pumping through our veins, making every second feel like an eternity. But then, just as suddenly as it had begun, everything went silent. The only sound left was the crackling of our fire and our own heavy breathing. We were left in the strange quiet of the night, the echoes of the creature's screams still ringing in our ears. The experience was unnerving, to say the least. Whatever had been out there was clearly powerful, and its cries still haunt me. It was a reminder that even though I've spent a lifetime in these woods, there are still mysteries here that I've yet to uncover. A bad storm had just passed through Burlington County when Officer A.J. Quinn spotted something hovering over Route 130, which runs between Burlington and Bordentown. On June 20, at approximately 6.40 p.m., I was traveling on Route 563, south of Chatsworth, near the Franklin Parker Reserve Speedwell entrance. I was looking to see what the parking situation there was for future hikes, so my eyes were on the right side of the road. Out of the periphery, I saw what I thought was a groundhog on the left. At least it looked like it. It was very large. I realized it would have been huge for one to be like that. So, the size I saw was roughly four feet tall, standing on two legs. 
It reminded me physically of a groundhog. I did not get a good look at the face and I almost continued, but decided to turn around about 150 yards up on a dirt road to the right. I pulled in, turned around and headed back to that location. There is a bend in the road there. It bends around to the right and on the way back, as I made it past the bend, approximately 30 yards in front of me, the creature was still there. It was now fully turned towards me. I could see that it looked like a cross between Curious George and the character Chaka from the Land of the Lost. Its face and hands, as well as the tops of its feet, were hairless and light tan in color. The fur it was covered with was golden brown, a little darker than a golden retriever, very much like the color of a groundhog. I could not see the nose. When I locked eyes with it, I could see just the whites. I stood there for a second or two when I rounded the bend and then it took off, passing back into the swampy area. It ducked behind a short bush when I drove past it. I could no longer see it. I turned the car around yet again and when I went by a second time, it was gone. I waited there a bit to see if I could see anything moving in the field. I couldn't, so I considered it done and took off. It was a couple of days before I shared the experience with my family and friends. In that period of time, I thought for sure somebody was going to report a missing kid in a Halloween costume. When the thing took off running, it was fast. I would describe it as the fastest kid on the 10-12 baseball team. We had really bad storms that night and my commute was a disaster. It poured all through that area and I thought it was odd that the thing I saw appeared to be dry, at least its fur was, which would lead me to believe it was under some sort of covering or underground. Of course, there are always skeptics out there suggesting this type of ferocious cryptid is just some innocent child dressed up in a puffy Halloween costume on Hallow's Eve. But why would it be out there, of all places? Or maybe Officer A.J. Quinn simply mistook an actual groundhog for something bipedal. Unfortunately, for those skeptics and doubters, A.J. Quinn is a legitimate officer who was on duty at the time of the sighting and has never been known to mislead. Over the years, there have been reports of other sightings in this area of Bordentown, New Jersey, where the creature is said to dwell. My name is Adu, which in our Apache language means sun. I was named for the light and warmth I brought to my tribe, nestled deep within the verdant expanse of the Pacific Northwest. I was a boy of the woods, raised on the songs of the wind and the stories of the ancients. But the woods began whispering a different tale, one steeped in darkness and dread. It all started with a dream. In my dreams, I was pursued by a windigo, a mythical creature from the legends of tribes far to our east. The Wendigo was a symbol of gluttony and excess, a beast that fed on flesh and had an insatiable hunger. I would wake up drenched in sweat, the Wendigo's blood-curdling roar still ringing in my ears. Soon, reality began to mirror my nightmares. Hunters from our tribe ventured into the woods and never returned. Wild animals were found mutilated, their bodies grotesquely mangled. An eerie cry would echo through the night, chilling us to our bones. I tried to warn the tribe's elders, recounting my dreams and the strange happenings. But they dismissed me, attributing my fears to the overactive imagination of a boy. I knew I had to do something. I dove into our ancient tribal lore, 
reading every scroll, deciphering every symbol. I trained, strengthening my body and mind, learning the ways of the hunter, the wisdom of the tracker. I was determined to face the Windigo and protect my people. One fateful night, under the light of the full moon, I ventured deep into the heart of the woods. I could feel the Windigo's presence, a palpable dread that hung in the air. The showdown was brutal, a dance of death between a boy and a beast. But I had the strength of my ancestors, the love of my tribe, and the courage that could only come from knowing what was at stake. I fought the Windigo with every ounce of my being, using the knowledge and skills I had gained from our ancient tribal lore. The battle raged on for what seemed like hours. The Windigo's strength was immense, but I was relentless. I evaded its deadly claws and piercing fangs, striking back with my own fierce determination. With a final, desperate lunge, I drove my spear deep into the heart of the creature. As the Windigo fell, its body began to dissolve into the air, like mist vanishing in the sunlight. The creature's deathly cries faded into the night, leaving behind only silence and a profound sense of relief. The beast was defeated, and I had saved my Apache tribe. I returned to my people, bearing the tale of my victory. The elders finally listened, their eyes wide with awe and respect. They recognized the truth of my words and the strength of my spirit. I was no longer just Adu, the boy named for the sun. I had become a warrior, a guardian of my tribe, and a living legend among my people. With the Windigo gone, peace and harmony were restored to our tribe in the woods. The hunters returned to their task, wild animals roamed without fear, and the eerie cries that once haunted the night were silenced forever. We could finally live in peace, safe in the knowledge that the Windigo had been vanquished and that our tribe was protected by one of its own. My day started like any other summer day, only this time I had the whole day to myself. It was August 7th, and I had decided to spend it in the beautiful town of Valsets, Oregon, specifically on the south fork of the Silots River. I was just a mile west of the town, an area now closed due to fire danger. My plan was to enjoy a peaceful day panning for gold, something I've found to be incredibly calming and rewarding over the years. The morning was beautiful, with a cool breeze and the sun's rays piercing through the tall trees. After a while, I got lost in the peaceful rhythm of panning. Suddenly, a smell hit me, it was peculiar and strong, something I hadn't experienced before. It was a mixture of wet dog and something else I couldn't put my finger on. Lifting my gaze from the shimmering water, I saw it. Through the rim of my glasses, I could see a figure standing tall and motionless. I squinted, adjusting my glasses for a clearer view, and there it was, a creature that could only be described as a Bigfoot, staring right at me. It was about eight feet tall, covered in dark fur, its eyes holding an intelligent yet wild gaze. My heart pounded in my chest as a wave of fear washed over me. However, instead of screaming or running, I decided to talk softly to the creature, trying to show it I meant no harm. To my surprise, it tilted its head slightly, as if listening, then turned around and walked away into the forest. Still shaken, I packed my gear and headed for my car, my day of peaceful panning now transformed into a day I'd never forget. 
As I drove off, I glanced at the trees, and there it was, another one, silently standing and watching from the forest's edge. Now, I know there will be skeptics reading this. It's not every day someone claims to have seen a Bigfoot, let alone two in one day. But I stand by what I saw, and as incredible as it may sound, it wasn't the first time. Over the years, I've been fortunate, or maybe just plain lucky, to have had about 40 or 50 encounters with these elusive creatures. My experiences have made me believe that there's a lot more to this world than we think we know. I was backpacking with my boyfriend in the mountains in Colorado. The area was fairly popular, a big parking lot, with a few trails that split off into different directions. We had passed through a big valley, and were making our way up through steep woods with lots of switchbacks. We were carrying good-sized packs and planned to camp in an alpine meadow above. It was summer, good weather, good times. I have a few guns, and I brought one that I hadn't hiked with before. A Smith & Wesson 4-inch 686. It was heavy. We took turns carrying it in the holster, in hand, not on my hip like I do with my smaller and lighter 3-inch Smith. I had started with it on my hip, but it was too big, awkward, heavy, my boyfriend is carrying the gun as we turn past another switchback. We see a guy coming down the trail towards us. A few unusual things immediately caught our attention. 1. He didn't have a backpack, or water, or any gear at all. We were a few miles in, so someone should at least have water. 2. He was wearing surgical type gloves. For real. Not regular outdoor gloves. Not some newfangled hipster outdoor gloves from our EI actual surgical gloves, in the middle of the forest. 3. He had an extremely creepy expression. Eyes too big and wide. Icky too big smile. My boyfriend and I exchanged a few quick words before he reached us, getting mentally prepared, my boyfriend had the gun if we needed it, and we stepped off the trail slightly so he wouldn't pass too close. He just smiled his creepy smile and went past. Because my boyfriend was carrying that heavy gun in his hand, still holstered, that dude knew we had a gun. It obviously wasn't pointed at the guy, but he knew. As we went on, my boyfriend and I kept stopping and checking to be sure he wasn't coming back behind us. Not far past this we saw a bit of blue tarp poking out from behind a large rock. We both thought it could be a body or something, so my boyfriend checked, and wasn't happy to have that job. Just a tarp. Crumpled, but in good shape, seemed to have been put there recently. Not sure why it would be way up there, though. We eventually reached the Alpine Lake and camped. Nothing bad happened. There was another couple somewhat nearby on one side of the lake, which made me feel better. Normally I'd rather be alone after backpacking in. But they were closer to the trail, so if the crazy dude came back, maybe he'd go after them first and we would hear something. I know, that's really horrible to think say that. But they were a buffer, anyway, nothing bad happened. But we never forgot that dude. I am so glad I wasn't alone. Thank you boyfriend, why no gear or water, but surgical gloves and a lunatic expression a few miles in on a mountain trail.
I had a pretty close encounter in September, 1994, I believe, near Tollgate, Oregon. During elk bow season. I had been in the woods for several days. I was tracking a hit elk on the north side of USFS Road 64, Skyline, about opposite Jubilee Lake at about 1 or 2 p.m. I was down the Skookum Spring side of Dusty Ridge about one quarter to half mile from Dusty Spring, an abandoned campground, and saw movement about 70 yards cross lope and down at the edge of a clearing. Some 30 or 40 yards across a large biped with unusually long seeming arms walked across the clearing heading away and upslope at an unhurried pace. Near the far edge of the clearing it stopped and turned, looking directly at me. It was covered head to foot in hair, dark brownish in color and I got a very, too good actually, look at it. It knew I was there, I have no doubt to this day. It then turned and continued away. I saw it for perhaps two minutes, in bright sunlight. I vacated the area without finding my elk or going over to look for tracks. I can say it was not a man or anything I have seen before. As it walked it swung its arms but they were so that the palms of the hand was clearly to the rear and much nearer the knees as opposed to the hip as mine are. The date time can be better established because when I got home and was telling my wife, she said that the previous weekend some guy had taken videos of Bigfoot at Hoodoo Springs some 20 miles from where I was at and they had been on the news. I have no pictures but can certainly take someone to the spot without difficulty even now. I'm Dr. James Reed, an anthropologist with an insatiable curiosity about the rich tapestry of human culture. One day, my thirst for knowledge led me to the isolated lands of a Native American tribe nestled in the heart of the Appalachian Mountains. I was there to learn, to observe their unique culture, and unravel their folklore. As I immersed myself in their world, I heard whispers of a guardian spirit, a creature resembling the legendary Bigfoot. This creature, they believed, was a protector of their lands, a revered figure in their folklore. I listened with intrigue, fascinated by the tribe's profound connection with nature. Before long, a mining company began prospecting in the nearby hills, their heavy machinery sending tremors through the quiet mountain range. As the machines crept closer to the sacred lands, the guardian spirits started manifesting in inexplicable, terrifying ways. The machines were destroyed, miners scared away by the sight of the massive creature. The tribe was convinced, it was their guardian spirit defending the sacred lands. But I was torn, caught between my rational scientific beliefs and the mystical world the tribe lived in. The mining company was relentless, and the tribe's way of life was under threat. The peaceful harmony of the tribe was being replaced with fear and unrest. I knew I had to do something. Setting aside my skepticism, I decided to join forces with the tribe. We researched old tribal legends, sought the counsel of the elders, and ventured deep into the sacred groves. The more I delved into the tribe's spiritual world, the more I began to question my own rigid beliefs. In the end, it was a battle not just for the tribe's sacred land, but also for their way of life. We managed to convince the mining company to stop their operations but not without a few close encounters with the guardian spirit, encounters that I still struggle to explain rationally. 
I left the Appalachian Mountains with more questions than answers. The experience had forever blurred the lines between my scientific pursuits and the mystical world of the tribe. But one thing was clear, there were forces at work far beyond our understanding, forces that demanded respect and reverence. And sometimes, protecting what's sacred required more than just logic and reason. This incident was relayed to me by my dad just a few years ago. My dad is a very level-headed, grounded man. He said he didn't say anything to anyone for a while because he wanted to keep this incredible experience to himself. My father lives in Southern California and was up visiting my stepmothers, his wife's, mother and father. Grandpa was dying and I guess dad just needed some time alone so he decided to take a walk. It was a pleasant day, not too hot, just perfect for a hike. Dad said he had never taken this direction before, but that he had decided to try it this time. He said he had been walking uphill for some time just enjoying the sights and fresh air when he decided he needed a rest. He saw a downed log on the side of the road, the side that goes down towards the river, when he heard a very unusual sound. He described it as almost a scolding sound. A TTT combined with a whistle. Immediately he became very still and the hair on the back of his neck stood up he also reported goosebumps. He said this noise was repeated again and he said there was no mistaking the meaning. He had to leave the area fast. He said he got up and looked around all while moving away from the area heading downhill toward home, which was a good two miles away. He said he moved at a fairly good pace but did not dare run. He said this was all kind of a sixth sense kind of thing. Inborn you might say. The noise was never repeated. He was not followed either. This just happened last night. My boyfriend, our husky, and I embarked upon our long holiday road trip to see our families earlier today. 14 hours of this trip takes place on a major US interstate highway. We were looking for places to make our last gas stop and found a place just off the highway. We pulled off and into the desolate gas station and immediately were greeted by a fairly large, somewhat sketchy man taking not-so-subtle glances in our direction. We both were joking that maybe we chose the wrong gas station and boy did we. My boyfriend suggested that while he pumped the gas and run to the restroom I take our dog and let him stretch his legs. Being a city girl I know to always carry my mace and phone especially at night. We diverged as I started to make my way towards the ill-lit side of the gas station and my boyfriend to the restroom. I made it not 30 feet from my car and was approached by a small, chihuahua slash mutt? With a collar, who happily greeted our husky. I looked around for an owner while the two dogs got to know one another and continued to walk to a patch of grass with our new follower in tow. My first instinct was to help the dog and find his owner but in the back of my mind something felt very off and to be honest it felt off since the moment we pulled in. I immediately called my boyfriend and told him I had found a dog and said hey I found a dog but something is weird. He immediately abandoned his bathroom break and came out to meet me. While I'm standing with our dog and this dog who came seemingly out of nowhere I felt eyes on me from the employees working outside. 
My boyfriend expressed concern about the dog being loose so close to a major highway and further looked around for its possible owner. He approached one of the employees who was changing out trash liners right next to our car for some time now. He asked the employee if he had any idea whose dog this was. In perfect English he replied I don't speak English and anxiously turned around to only continue to go through the motions of changing out a trash liner he had been standing at this whole time. He then continued to watch us chase around this dog until the dog led us behind the conscience store gas station. With my boyfriend five feet behind me I follow the dog to the back of the store. Behind the store ten or so big rig trucks sat largely in darkness resting for the night. Cardboard boxes and broken wood pallets covered the dirt. A large man in a gas station uniform greeted me staring through a glass door. With my boyfriend out of view I bent down to check the dog's tag as the man continued to stare. My boyfriend approached and that's when the man behind the glass door's demeanor changed. Almost dejectedly he opened the glass door, I quickly asked do you know whose dog this is? Nervously he fumbled his words and replied yeah uh uh that's my uh dog. We both exhaled and exchanged a look as if to say something about that was really weird. We made our way back to the car and my boyfriend remembered he had to still use the bathroom so I settled back into our locked car. When my boyfriend got back to the car he told me the same man we talked to at the back of the store followed him to the bathroom and stood behind him watching. That's when we realized just how creepy and surreal the last 15 minutes have been. As we drove away we discussed the strange and creepy series of events. How the whole thing felt staged or set up. Why did the employee act like he didn't know the dog when it belonged to his co-worker? We immediately googled the small town we had stopped in and discovered it has been a hot spot for human trafficking and in recent months 60 people were arrested. Was this just a string of eerie coincidences or was there some more sinister going on here? It was an early Tuesday morning. My friend and I were bow hunting off the face of the rock quarry. We stopped to rest on a bench in the tall timber, where we sat facing up the hill we had come down from earlier in the morning. We couldn't rest cause we kept hearing a rustling sound up the hillside that kept our attention. Shortly thereafter we thought we heard what sounded like girls talking on the 1161 road directly above us. It first sounded like laughing that immediately turned into a blood-curdling sound that went to a soft laughter to a very high pitch that got louder and louder. My first thought was it sounded like a mother watching its young being killed. This sound got so loud and its direction now sounded like from multiple directions around us like something was joining in on the cry. By this time approximately 20 seconds has gone by and the sound has not stopped for one second not even to take a breath of air. My friend kept asking me what is it as I was staring up the hillside in amazement. He finally was so scared he grabbed my shirt and looked me in the eye and said, what is it? I replied, I don't know but it better not come after us. This sound started to wind down like an old World War II hand crank warning alarm and then dissipated into a soft sound, then to nothing. We estimated this sound carried for approximately 40 seconds and like I said it never stopped to take a breath. I was living in one of the cabins with my husband and two younger children. 
We had finished dinner, and they were in the living room. It was getting later, but was still pretty light out, as it had been sunny that day. I started to walk from the kitchen to the living room, and a movement caught my eye straight ahead, through the bathroom window. I stood stock still in disbelief as a Sasquatch walked up the dirt road, heading south from our cabin, with huge long strides. I could see his back only. I sensed it was a male, though I couldn't say why. He seemed to be aware of me watching him, but wasn't worried. He was about seven feet tall, with reddish-brown hair about two feet long. He had very long arms and legs, and walked very confidently and controlled looking. He walked behind a large tree at the edge of the road, and just disappeared. I kept waiting for him to show up on the other side of the tree, but he just seemed to vanish. I wasn't frightened, as he didn't seem malevolent or animalistic. Our dog was chained up outside the window, and she was barking and lunging at the end of her chain, watching him. He didn't seem at all phased by the dog. I was so engrossed watching him that I didn't think to say anything out loud until he disappeared. Then I walked into the living room in a daze and told my husband I just saw a Bigfoot walk up the road. I went out a few minutes later and looked at the road by the tree, but the ground was too dry and packed for any tracks to show. Two of my friends and I, all three early 20s females, were hiking around Yellowstone. This day was really busy at the park and we ended up driving around until we could find parking lot that wasn't as busy. We found one that was off the beaten path a bit and there were no cars in the parking lot. We got out of the car, looked around, grabbed- Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Grabbed our gear and headed out. One of my friends, call her Sarah, and I were taking a photos while the other friend, Sylvia, started walking ahead of us. So we finish taking photos and we go to start trying to catch up to the to Sylvia and as we're trying to catch up and I look across a little opening and I see a man in a bright blue rain jacket. I thought that was odd and thought maybe another trail connects to this one. But I tap Sarah and say there's another person on the trail. But by the time she looked the person in the bright blue jacket was gone. Sylvia, at this point was at the tree line waiting for us before she went into the wooded part. Finally all three of us are together and we start walking in the wooded part and it's very quiet, nothing but nature sounds and I start to get this feeling like we are being watched. We were now where I would have saw the man in the blue jacket. We finally exit the wooded part and we come to a big opening that's sort of muddy and swampy. I start going ahead because I just want to get out of the woods and I notice as I'm going to head on the boardwalk there's no footprints. The area was really muddy so there's no way that anybody could have crossed this boardwalk and not left either footprints in the mud or wet muddy footprints on the boardwalk so I stopped and I looked behind me and I see my friends still standing at the opening of the wooded area and they were motioning me to go back to them. 
So I turned around and I meet them at the opening of the wooded area. Sylvia leaned in and said that soon as we got to the opening of the wood area she started to get a feeling that she was being watched. I asked Sarah if she had told Sylvia about the man in the blue jacket and she said no. At this point the fact that I had the feeling of being watched in the wooded area and Sylvia who had no eye about the man in the blue jacket was feeling watched and the no footprints on the boardwalk we were all very creeped out. We then heard a car pull up in the parking lot as we still weren't very far from the parking lot and we hear doors open and we hear kids laughing and slamming doors and mom and dad tell them to get their water and all of that. We decided right then and there that if we could hear people in the parking lot we should be able to hear the man the blue jacket walking and or see him. The three of us hauled ass back to the car where we looked and once again it was just us and that new family that I just pulled up. As we were leaving Sarah told the family what had happened to us. The mom and dad decided not to take their kids in there and we all left that parking lot. To this day I couldn't tell you what that hike was called or if anything had happened there at the park. But all I know is that I should have trusted my gut when we are in the wooded area and I think the fact that my friend got the same feeling of being watched, that was a second chance to turn around. I was about 17 years old and my friend Tony Sanderville was the one who had seen the Bigfoot. I would have never believed him if it were not for the one fact that he went straight home to his uncle who sat in a tree all night with a gun in hopes of shooting the Bigfoot for the bounty. Tony's uncle was older than us high school kids and was known to be quite the badass, so I would believe Tony saw a Bigfoot, before I would believe he would trick his uncle into sitting in a tree all night. We used to hang out at the creek quite a bit as we liked to pack guns with us at the time and we liked to shoot. Being out in the woods gave us the freedom we wanted, at that time. I do not quite remember why or exactly who, but I believe it was, Brian O'Donnell and Tony Sandable who went up the road a bit to get some pot. I believe they took a motorbike and one was on back while the other drove. Well within minutes they were back and they both seemed very shook up shouting they had seen a Bigfoot, oh my god, they are real. Brian kept shouting. I told them they were full of shit and probably saw a bear. Brian then said to me Wayne do you honestly think we would go get Tony's uncle to sit in a tree all night over a bear? Still, I was hesitant to believe it. Until I saw what took place next. The two boys got right to business, I mean, they showed up on the bike shook up and told us about it and instantly split right over to Tony's uncle. They all showed up about 20 minutes later or as instantly as they could get from one place to the next. That day I did not go over to the place where they had seen it, but, when they came back, after having gone there with their uncle, they told me they found a hornet hive broken into and a stick was found with teeth marks on it. Brian told me he believed the Bigfoot used the stick to dig something out of the hornet hive that he ate off the end of the stick. They found footprints and we all came to the conclusion that they, Bigfoot, had to come down to get water due to the drought. If you look at records for the year, they'll bet there was quite the drought in 94. I just remember it being a very hot summer and I remember that summer a pond in Sunny Valley was almost dry. This pond had never dried up before so I would say this year was a hot one. I also know to this day both kids stick to the story that they know what they saw was not a bear. I myself know for a fact that whatever they saw was not a person in a suite, 
just because of the place and time. I also feel like these two believed what they were telling me, even if I myself did not. This would have been at the beginning of El Nino? Not sure on spelling, anyway, the cycle is going again soon so perhaps we can use this to our advantage. I will say this. I believe the boys saw a Bigfoot and I believe they were correct on their reason for it having to come down so low. I think we can almost predict when they will have to come again. That being said, perhaps we should set up a venture? The northwestern part of Pennsylvania, particularly the areas surrounding the Allegheny National Forest, has a rich history of reports about UFOs, Bigfoot, and other inexplicable events. It was in this intriguing setting, on July 8, 2017, that my partner and I had an encounter that left us both bewildered. That morning, at around 9, I stepped out onto our deck, which overlooks the lush greenery of our country home nestled near the forest. What caught my eye was an unusually large moth, resting on a 6x6 vertical post. The moth, if I could even call it that, was approximately 11 inches long and about 5 inches wide at what I can only describe as the shoulders. Its shape was peculiar, somewhat reminiscent of an hourglass. Adding to its unusual appearance were two appendages at the top of its head, antennas or pointed ears, perhaps, each about an inch long. It seemed as though the creature's head was tucked into its body, as if it was resting. Based on its size, I guessed its wingspan would reach an impressive 15 inches when fully spread out. Intrigued, I called my husband to witness this peculiar sight. I was taken aback by the creature's strange beauty, its wings shimmered with a pale green iridescence, while the middle part appeared to have a creamy, skin-like texture. My husband was equally amazed expressing that he'd never seen anything like it before. We both agreed that it resembled a giant moth. We spent some time observing the seemingly slumbering creature. Eventually, I gathered the courage to touch it, finding its wings smooth, almost skin-like, but not feathery or fuzzy. The creature remained still, not reacting to my touch. I also noticed a lack of the powdery residue typically left behind after touching a moth's wings. Before we had to leave our home for a bit, I decided to fetch my camera to capture a picture of our unusual visitor. Standing about a foot away, I tried to power up my camera, but to no avail. Despite the camera having never given us trouble before, and even after replacing the batteries, it still refused to turn on. The next day, it worked perfectly fine again. On our way to the car, we spotted another similar creature, perched on the outer wall of our home about 10 feet off the ground. When we returned home later, both creatures had vanished. We've since made a sketch of what we saw, it shows the back of the creature's wings, and the red area behind it represents the 6x6 vertical post it was resting on. It's possibly just a coincidence that my camera malfunctioned when I tried to photograph this odd winged creature. However, I've heard of cases where photographic equipment mysteriously fails when someone attempts to capture images of UFOs or other phenomena. More recently, similar incidents have been reported in connection with significant UFO encounters in our state. Other researchers involved in paranormal investigations have reported similar experiences as well. 
This happened ages ago, when I was 21. I was a manager for a big box store but in a town that was an hour drive from me. I lived in a small town and the store was in another small town, both about 12,000 people each, but in order to promote to manager I had to transfer which meant doing this drive daily. I had hoped it would be temporary because I dreaded driving this every day, especially late at night because of deer etc. This was also before cell phones were really the norm. I did have one but it was one of those ancient bag style phones and I had just got it a week or two before. With these phones you had to plug them into your car lighter in order to have them work and they had a corded attached handset. Anyway, one night I was driving home and it was really late, about 1am. The drive is pretty desolate with houses sporadically throughout mixed with sections of wooded areas. About 20 minutes before my town is a random casino in the middle of BFE. I had just passed this casino and a truck pulled out behind me. I didn't think anything of it but it was noticeable pretty quickly that they had been drinking because of their erratic driving. Because of this I just figured I'd just put as much room between us as possible. Also to note, as I was going past them they had their headlights on of course and could have easily seen I was a young girl by myself. So the truck comes up behind me at a pretty fast rate of speed and goes to pass me. As they are next to me they swerve a little towards me and I just think they are much more drunk than I thought and slowed down so they could easily pass. As soon as they got in front of me though they started to slow down. Way down. It got to the point that we were going 20 miles per hour in a 55 miles per hour zone and still slowing down, like they were trying to stop me. Every time they would get to around 5 miles per hour I would swerve to the opposite lane and give it some gas like I was going to pass which would then make them temporarily speed up. I could also see a lot better into the truck at this point. It was an extended cab truck with what appeared to be 5 or 6 guys in it. This was during hunting season so it wasn't out of the norm to see groups of guys acting ridiculous and drunk this time of year. So they were trying to stop me and I didn't want to necessarily pass given what had just happened but at a certain point I had to. So I go to try and pass the truck but it blocks me from doing so by getting in the middle of both lanes. I try this a couple times with the same results. Then finally I try to floor it and pass in the truck but it tries to run me off the road. I immediately get back behind them and am freaking out at this point. I had tried calling 911 but there was a huge area with no coverage yet and I couldn't get through. After what seemed like forever I finally get through to them and they send someone out immediately. As I'm on the phone with them I see car lights in my rear view and am filled with panic because I know this car will inevitably try to pass given we are only going about 30 at this point. Sure as shit the car comes up behind us and goes to pass. And sure as shit the truck actually runs them off the road and into the ditch. I'm telling the 911 dispatcher this and in a full-blown panic. We are getting close to town now though and I can see the first stoplight. I wasn't sure what the truck was going to do because our one lane splits into two and there are gas stations etc up ahead. Right as we approach the first light I see an officer come in the opposite direction and I start flashing them over and over while telling the dispatcher that I see the officer. The officer makes a U-turn and gets in between me and the truck. He flicks the lights on them to pull them over and they pull into a gas station at the main intersection of our town. 
I follow into the gas station to assist the police in whatever statements they may need and want to make sure these assholes are actually arrested. That didn't end up being a problem because they refused a breathalyzer so they were taken to the hospital where a blood alcohol level was obtained. I really wanted to know more but the officer didn't elaborate. I kind of wish I would have called up and followed up on it. They never called me or anything to do anything in court so I'm guessing they didn't need me but it also means that they got away with only getting a DUI. I didn't realize this wasn't okay until way later, much too late to have done anything about it. All I know is the officer said they were all three sheets to the wind. God only knows what their intent was but I was terrified to find out. And thank God for that damn bag cell phone. It could have saved my life. We didn't know what was going on until just a few years ago. At first, we found the house that they were living in. My husband and I didn't know what it was, and he kind of joked with me about it. At that time we didn't realize it was a Bigfoot. Since then, our property had a fire, it burned down, so we moved a mile and a half from where we knew they were into another house. Little did we know that we were just coming into a family of them. So said Brenda, in her radio interview with David Schrader, host of the late-night radio show Coast to Coast. According to her, she and her husband hear the Bigfoot family scrape their walls, make weird noises and create other kinds of ape-like nuisance. They, however, are not feared by them a bit. Instead, they even leave buckets of food for their Sasquatch friends. They throw rocks on the house, I hear them talking. People thought I was crazy, but I know what I heard. I've heard them yell, walking out close to the house, and my husband too. They are all around us and my son put cameras out below his house and he got some on camera, but they've never tried to hurt us. I hear them talking, you can't make out what they are saying, but know it's their voices. She also says that at first there was only Mama Bigfoot and Papa Bigfoot, but recently, they had a baby. Now they are a blooming, happy family of three Sasquatches living alongside their very own, human house in the middle of town. Brenda has even claimed that another fellow neighbor had seen the Bigfoot trio, but was too scared to talk about it. It was the summer of June 2013, and the high temperatures were not helping farmers. Even though it wasn't a dry year in the state, a few weeks had been a little hotter than usual. I lived in Altamont, Missouri. When some of us would go water the plants at night, we noticed the strange sounds. I got a phone call from my son at 2 in the morning. He was very agitated. I figured something was very wrong. For two weeks, the family had been living in a state of stress and insomnia. Every other night, we'd drive to their land to water their cornfield. There were noises that we had never heard before. See, we didn't know what it was. We know there are animals out here, we know that. But this sound gave me goosebumps. It goes like a tapping sound as if somebody was chattering their teeth, only much more faster and louder, then silence, then shrieking. These aren't coyotes or wolves or anything like that. I saw something and that is not from this land. That I'm sure. It was there standing before me, as I pointed the flashlight at it. It was darn big. Then a sudden movement, fast as heck, 
And it was gone. I can only describe it as an eight-foot-tall winged creature with a long muzzle that resembled the face of an alligator. The animal was featherless and its skin was gray, with a wingspan of over 80 feet that looked like the wings of a bat. The almond-shaped eyes appeared red under the stream of light pointing at them, a known characteristic of certain rodents, opossums, and birds. The only creature that I can reference it to is a pterodactyl, even though I know that sounds crazy. Have you heard of other similar sightings in this area? I truly believe I was abducted by aliens a couple of months ago. My dreams of my house were too vivid to be dreams, something happened. I remember standing at the patio door looking up. The ship was huge with two, three, or four big lights. I remember a red and white light. I knew I was looking at the back. But, instead of seeing my backyard, there was a field with two cars. I think the one closest to me was a red convertible with the top down. There was a woman leaning against the car. I think she had dark curly hair. Darker than mine and softer curls. I think one or two men were sitting in the car drinking. These details are too vivid and too memorable to be a dream. The ship was a very strong material, gunmetal gray in color. From what I saw, the house blocked the rest of the ship. I was looking up. The clincher is that I was jolted awake, in bed. I turned over and the clock read 5.26 am. I felt like I had just gotten in bed and I was exhausted. I didn't want to have to get up and go to work. I turned onto my left side and my first thought was that I'd need to get checked out for any implants. I tried to find something on the internet to tell my story but didn't find anything in that short time. I told, my best friend, last night and she doesn't think I'm crazy. When I wrote it, I wrote things going on in my life before and after. There was no break. Also, I remember when I wrote this how calm I became. To clarify how I saw the ship, I have two sliding glass doors going outside. I have to open both of them. I remember seeing everything in the den as it is right now, not like a dream where everything is distorted or made up, and I was standing in the house, at the first door, with both open, in my, probably, nightgown that night. I was looking up and if I had stepped out and jumped up, I could have touched the ship it was that close. I have metal awnings but that night, it was like they were gone. Because the ship was so close, and the view I had, that's why I could only see the back. It was like I was being dropped off. I didn't feel strange or funny or have any weird things. Supernatural things do happen to me at night but as long as I pray, it helps. I now wear a Saint Michael the Archangel medal that was blessed by the Pope and pray to him each night also and that has helped tremendously. To clarify being exhausted. Have you ever gone out one night and partied and got drunk, not too drunk but enough to know you're drunk, and you came in at 4 or 5 or 6 am? Then, you throw yourself in bed and you're asleep before you've stopped moving? That's what I felt like. I had gone to bed the night before, as usual, but when I was jolted awake, I looked at the clock, see above, and literally felt like I had been dropped into my bed and that I had not gotten any sleep. My best friend is the only one I told about this because I'm too scared to talk to anyone else. Maybe I watch too many TV shows and movies but I have not spoken to anyone about this. 
I've thought long and hard and I wanted to report this but I don't want anything bad to happen to me. I'm a former Chicagoan and I was on a visit last week. I stayed a night downtown at Sofitel Chicago Magnificent Mile, 20 East Chestnut Street. In the early evening, I looked out our window from the 30th floor and saw what I, at the time, assumed was a maintenance man or something on the roof of a shorter building below ours. But, it moved too fluidly and disappeared too quickly for a man. It was grey in color and shape I would definitely describe it as a male, with no clothes. I'd say it was about 6 feet tall. There were no unfurled wings. It occurred on Sunday September 10, 2017, at approximately 7 pm CT and the thought of it hasn't left me. I couldn't see a door or anything that would allow a person to slip out of sight. It was odd to see someone something on a roof with no rooftop features like a pool or outdoor seating, and it didn't look like there was any window washing, construction, etc. That would easily explain why a person was on a high-rise roof and then disappear so quickly. I told myself it was nothing and forgot about it, but on a whim, I called my friend, who'd been with me, and he told me that there have been lots of sightings of humanoids in Chicago. I immediately panicked a bit, and I have to tell you, I am very scared of things like these. I hope it doesn't mean any harm to me or anyone else. Luckily, I live in Nashville. Are these things vindictive? In the Idaho forest, my son Samuel and I had an interesting experience in the summer of 2010 that made me a believer. I had just returned from Iraq a few months earlier having served two tours in the US Army. I was pretty confident in my abilities and the capabilities of my weapons. I was also confident that I was very familiar with this location as I've been coming here almost annually since I was 14 years old on backpacking trips. It was still a little too early to go backpacking as there was still a lot of snow that had not yet melted. But I had to get the trip knocked out because I was due to report to a new duty station in a couple of weeks. Seven years prior a friend and I had walked to this lake. There was something odd I noticed. On the way up was a footprint. It looked like a child's foot, probably about seven inches long. It was clear and deep. This trail's covered with sharp-edged shale, so a child walking up here barefoot would be highly unlikely. The funny thing is I bent down to look at the print but walked off and didn't think any more about it. The place we walked is about 10 miles in. We only saw two other people on the way in. They went to the first lake for a few hours of fishing then rode out on motorcycles in the evening. Besides us, there are only two people, a couple, that were signed into the trailhead, and on the way into the lake, we had about half a mile to go. I heard a couple of gunshots from a high-power rifle. It was odd as most backpackers carry a pistol if anything at all and rarely shoot up here. Upon arriving at the campsite I noticed the motorcycle that the couple had come in on chained to a tree. They had apparently ridden the motorcycle as far as permissible and hiked into one of the further legs. Sam and I set up the tent and started a campfire. Sam was not feeling well so he laid down for a nap. I hung a bear bag, filled canteens, and all the rest to be ready for the next day's hike which was going to involve a lot of walking. 
around 9.45 p.m., just as the sun was making its last appearance, I peered out the mesh window of the tent as I just settled into my sleeping bag and what I saw out the window was the biggest grizzly bear that I had ever seen. It was on the other side of a large stream that separated the camping area from the other side of the trail. I reached for my rifle and unzipped the tent just enough to get the muzzle of the rifle out. The first warning shot went unheeded and the second made the bear walk back a bit. I watched knowing that the bear was not leaving. I had Sam keep the weapon oriented on the bear and I broke camp in about 5 minutes. We had about 10 minutes of daylight left so we put some distance between us and the campsite. We had our headlamps for light on the way out but the batteries were going out. This is an area where a fire had come through many years ago. It has a lot of standing and fallen dead trees. At this point, we heard wood knocking. It was a phenomenon that I was familiar with because I enjoyed watching Bigfoot programs. It's not as if someone had a baseball bat and was pounding on some of these old dead trees. Sam asked me if that was normal. I haven't spent a lot of time outdoors. I knew it was not but affirmed to him that it was indeed normal. By that time, an unseen creature was pacing us even though the terrain it traveled through was uneven and encumbered with deadfall. Sam and I were on a trail and could not distance ourselves from it. Sam was in the lead and when he turned his head to speak to me at one point his headlamp illuminated four sets of eyes, three green sets and one red set. I heard claws on trees and one of the sets of eyes, the red set, came directly toward us. I told Sam to run as the eyes were slightly ahead of us. To the left, I ran toward the red eyes and fired off some rounds into the fallen trees just off the trail. I did this in hopes of scaring the animals away. I've read Bigfoot has glowing red eyes. I can't say for sure if there may have been wild cats in the trees or something explainable. All I know is that I felt an irrational fear which was telling me to get out a little further on. We met up further on at the creek that paralleled the trail. The stream was probably about 5 feet deep at that point and out of nowhere, a huge rock was thrown into the water. It was obvious the rock was huge because of the kerplunk sound it made as it went into the water. I told Sam to run and I kept a watch to see if anything was coming up from behind us. I faced rearward on the trail allowing Sam to get some distance away. I saw what looked to be a large figure I would say was approximately 8 feet tall. Across the trail behind me, probably 15 to 20 yards back, there was just enough light to see it move, and also that the figure was not dark in color. I figured it must have been gray as I would have not seen a darker animal. I decided not to take any more shots as I was dark and my mind and nerves were frazzled. I questioned my own sanity and felt that I must be losing my mind. It would probably be safer not to fire any more warning shots as I had fired 6 to 8 shots already. I put the rifle safety on and ran after Sam. Among the passengers the other night bound for New York from the West on the Day Express was a wild man who occupied a seat in smoking car number 153. He was accompanied by James Harvey and Raymond Boyd his captors both of whom belong in Paducah, Kentucky. 
They had three second-class tickets to New York which privileged them with three seats in the smoking car of any first-class train when the day express arrived at the Broad Street station at 8 o'clock James Harvey ran down the platform into the restaurant and purchased a box of sardines and some sandwiches for the wild man's supper. His companion remained in charge of the wild man. The wild man was dressed in a citizen's dress and wore big cloth shoes. His hair reaches nearly to his waist and falls over his shoulders completely covering his back. His beard is long and thick while his eyebrows are much heavier than those of an ordinary human being. There is nothing imbecilic in the wild man's manners or actions. He cannot talk and seldom makes any sound except a low growl. Like a leopard, his actions are as much like those of the hyena of the zoological garden. Raymond Boyd, who seemed to have perfect control over the wild man, said his body is covered with coarse brown hair as thick as the hair on a horse's hide. The palms of his hands look like the paws of a bear and his fingernails, which were over an inch long, resemble the claws of an eagle. He was first seen in Paducah County 13 years ago and was known as Mum the Hermit because whenever anyone accosted him all he would say was Mum's the word. He lived in an old pine hut in the woods for about five years and was seldom seen by anyone. Finally, he abandoned the hut and took up his abode in a cave under a ledge of rocks known as Lizard Rock. A little over six years ago two or three citizens of Paducah County, while out hunting, saw him running into his cave without a stitch of clothing on him. Three years ago it was discovered that a thick coat of hair had grown all over his body. Boyd and Harvey built a man trap for him and it took over three days before he entered it. He was not afraid of any bird or beast of prey but ran terrified away from any human being who approached him. It took two days to accustom the man-beast to their presence. The tinkle of a small dinner bell they used had great influence over him. He watched the bell intently but would not touch it. Some time ago a farmer missed a calf and two sheep which had strayed off. They were tracked to Mum's cave here. All trace of them was lost and it was supposed that he devoured them in his cave which he had occupied for the last seven or eight years. Boyd and Harvey found the skeletons of small animals and the skins of over 50 snakes. Some of the skins belonged to the most venomous species of reptiles. The floor of the cave was alive with red and green lizards and hundreds of toads hopped about. The wild man ate the box of sardines voraciously and the two sandwiches which were handed him were greedily pulled apart. He ate the ham and threw the bread away. Whenever a train passed on the opposite track he crouched down in the corner of the seat terror-stricken. After the train passed he would put his hand to his ear and listen with a look of animal cunning stealing out of his restless eyes like a panther about to pounce on its prey. Every time the engineer blew the whistle the wild man would grab the back of the seat in front of him with both hands and hold on until the whistle ceased blowing. Boyd had a little tin music box which he manipulated with a crank. The tune that it played was empty as the cradle and it was ground again and again to the great satisfaction of the ex-hermit who sat and looked at it silently but would not touch it. When conductor Harry Smith took out his glistening nickel-plated punch to cancel the tickets the wild man watched the punch intently until he heard it snap. Then he got down in the corner of the car and sat fairly shivering with fear and set up a low howl supposing evidently that conductor Smith was about to wing him. 
Boyd and Harvey said that there was a story to the effect that the wild man had originally come from North Carolina and that during the war he had been a sharpshooter on Bald Mountain and that shortly after the war he had murdered a whole family of settlers in the mountain and left. Both Boyd and Harvey appear like shrewd fellows and they expect to make a fortune out of their prize. Their great anxiety and fear is that the authorities will interfere with them and claim that the man is simply a lunatic and place him in some institution. They had the snake skins in a box in a baggage cart together with some other curiosities found in the cave. Boyd said that the wild man will not touch anything but fruit and meat which he eats ravenously and much the same as wild beasts. Cigar smoke bothered him a good deal and he kept driving it away from him with his clawed hands. When the train arrived in Jersey City the men took a carriage and said they were going to take the New Haven night boat and avoid a day crowd. 